Spencer Hall, I consider you a person that I turn to in times of just extreme confusion about college football and also um, when I need something named. And I want a name for this era of the sport that you love because conference realignment, it just feels a little insufficient for what exactly we're watching right now. Yeah, uh, I think uh, shufflepalooza is the first word that comes to mind. I think another one is the world's most deeply unsexy game of musical chairs. The Reformation of 2022, if you want to get super historical about it. There's a very simple motivation explaining what's happening in college football right now, and then there is the reality that just because things have always been one way in college football does not mean that they have to remain that way. I think that the idea that the sport should be immune from flux or immune from the outside world is absurd. This is the way things go for every sport. Change is the norm. I'm not flustered about it. I'm not a traditionalist. I am going to laugh very hard watching USC play in the snow somewhere in the Big Ten in the next five years. <laughs> and that, that Pablo, is one of the things, along with caffeine, that keeps me alive. Life in the college football universe is in flux. You may have noticed that by now. You may have noticed that entire schools, entire conferences, entire rivalries, traditions, they've apparently entered their own transfer portal. Like, what am I supposed to do with the fact that USC and UCLA, once the marquee universities of the Pac-12, are now the new faces of the culturally Midwestern Big Ten, which hasn't had 10 members in years. The allegedly Southeastern Conference, meanwhile, remains on a similar timeline to absorb Texas and Oklahoma. And pretty much everybody else is straight up panicking, dying to figure out if they're the next domino or about to be crushed by one. So today, Spencer Hall gives us a tour of college football's multiverse of madness, and he shares his spiteful dream for what happens next. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Thursday, July 14th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Spencer, I am holding up a map of college football as it stands now, having changed for the latest time. And you see now 15 Big Ten schools stretching across the country from USC and UCLA on one coast to Maryland and Rutgers now on the other. And how would you describe the tableau that unfurls before you? My first thought was this looked like a federal diagram at a trial of a drug cartel. Because you have this like old region and then they just went and got guys at airports that they could pay off. And that's really not too far from the truth in terms of a business model. And by the way, it's hilarious to me that they went and got L.A., because part of the history of L.A. is this influx of Midwesterners who get very sick of winter. And it's one of the reasons this exchange historically has been the Rose Bowl circuit. That was always the goal. It was always, we're going to meet at the Rose Bowl and we'll all be warmed for a second, right? Um, 
or in the case of anyone from the West Coast, we will continue being comfortable and happier than the rest of America. But that's not, the point is, the Big Ten's always had a relationship with Los Angeles. Like, I don't want to sell this for the Big Ten. It is weird. It looks like a regional airline expanding, as in, yes, we have flights to West Lafayette, Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, and now serving Los Angeles. That's really what it feels like. But it's not like this isn't familiar territory. I do get tickled at the idea that West Lafayette and Los Angeles are now on the same level in at least one degree, that Purdue and UCLA are on a collision course. Yeah, the idea of Purdue Pete shuffling out to Silver Lake and hawking his screenplay Mm -hmm. is kind of an amazing one. Yeah, Purdue Pete with his unblinking gaze ordering a kombucha straight-faced somewhere out there. (laughs) The Big Ten mascot who fits in best in L.A. naturally is Sparty because it's ripped. It's very cosmetic, right? Absolutely. He's out there on the beach doing, like, ring muscle-ups and and ring dips, you know? Yes, not opposed to calf implants if needed. Yeah, a little bit, you know, like, it's medically approved, but the human growth hormone supplements, they just help him keep his edge. But hold on, because we are sort of surveying an era to throw some more words out there of seemingly post-geography, late capitalism, the era of super conferences with the Big Ten. Yes, adding USC and UCLA in 2024, but for all intents and purposes, has already changed in the present tense. The SEC, of course, adding Texas and Oklahoma. Spencer, can you just give us an explanation here at the top? Like, why is this happening? I think the prime movers, and I don't want to reduce it to something incredibly simple, but I don't really deal in anything other than very simple answers when you're dealing with something this big. Just abstract it. The two things that are cutting up college football are rival media entities. I think that um, people will confuse the SEC and the Big Ten as these independent brands that just sort of survive on their own and make big decisions with commissioners who, with their big brains, manage to make great decisions. I'm not saying those commissioners don't occasionally make great decisions, but I don't want to over-lionize or make them too important here. This is assets, and the two main assets here are the combined properties of the SEC and the combined properties of the Big Ten and how much money they can bring in with media rights. Because the only thing that has consistent viewership numbers across the board that even remotely begins to nibble in on the NFL's, you know, inelastic totals in terms of viewership is college football. You will see, if you see the top 50 live programs every single year, there might be like five to eight, um, maybe in a huge year, 10 college games, but that would be a big year. It's mostly the NFL, but college football's right there in terms of live demand, in terms of things people will actually show up in person, so to speak, with their eyeballs and watch. So it's two media entities. It's um, ESPN, which, of course, sponsors this fine podcast and produces it and employs both of us to some extent, and Fox. These are two very large media networks that are bankrolling a good chunk of this. So writing them out of the story would be insane. Not crediting them as the prime mover would be nuts. The SEC announced this past week, Matt Hayes reported this, that they're standing pat in terms of conference expansion. Well, of course, they're the ones who started this. (laughs) Newsflash Galactus has decided to pause from his diet of eating worlds. Galactus is full. He's had (laughs) had enough planet for now. He's just going to take a big old nap. That's really what we're talking about. That's right. 
right? And then the Big Ten had to respond. That's what it is because the Big Ten is the other major property. And no network has been more fascinated with the L.A. market than Fox. None. And the LA market is tricky. Like if you want to talk about it in marketing terms, right? Like sterile anodyne marketing terms. As LA demands, yes. Please talk about LA in marketing terms. Right, right. They just think like people go, well, how did UCLA get out of the Pac-12 without taking Cal? Isn't there some sort of legislative thing going on where, well, if you take one, you have to take the other. It really comes down to they just want the whole market. And even if UCLA is only 20 to 30 percent of that, they're going to take it. Because on a spreadsheet, it showed which teams are in this area. And they said, just circled it, right? No consideration for the history. No consideration for what those brands actually mean in context. Nope. Just buy them all. It's like some executive going, oh, yeah, look, here, circle. Take those. Yes. The gerrymandered conference map, Spencer, when you are left on the wrong side of those lines being drawn, just in a sentence here, Right? Like, what does your life look like, do you think? Your life looks a lot like it might have 30 or 40 years ago because it really does take a program back several decades, at least in terms of potential revenue. Um, I say several decades, not like 50 years, because the money's still going to be okay. You're still going to be able to put out a product that's going to be on a television somewhere, but it's not going to have those 30, 40 million dollar payouts that you're going to see off a major conference. For the Pac-12, I don't know how much it changes because the payouts and the money that they're getting off their TV deal sucks. It's terrible. It's half of what you see in major conferences. Even like the ACC is over-earning them. And the ACC has moaned about their deal that they signed because they locked in a modest sum for a long time. For the Pac-12, I think they are going to have a very, very interesting game in terms of what they're going to look like and how they're not going to be the Western version of the Sun Belt. That's really what we're talking about. They're trying to stay above water. And I don't know who their major assets are going to be because, you know, there's a question of, well, does the Pac-12, do they re-raid the Big 12? Do they go over there? Does the Big 12 attempt to make a pitch the other way? I think what you're going to see is that the way they're going to go, they are now in mid-major status. That is mid-major status. Mm. Remember, this is a system of pure anarchy. There's nobody There's nobody in charge. Everybody just kind of negotiates oh, right. their own deals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we don't have The lack of leadership in any discernible way thing does come to bear when you are redrawing piles of billions of dollars, I suppose. It does. But it does allow, like one thing when people say, well, what we need is a commissioner. No, no, beat that out of your brain. Don't let these parties figure out what's going to work for them because what's going to work for them might work out a lot better than you think in the long run. Maybe not in the short run. You'll miss those big you know, major payouts from large conferences. But what you might end up with would be something that works for everybody, for all constituent parties. So, you know, and do I want some commissioner to come in and sweep all of this up? Absolutely not. That's just my personal preference. In addition, I like for huge conglomerates to fail. I like to see, I like, I do. I, I enjoy seeing large, unbeatable forces suddenly discover they're too big to maneuver. And I also like, just down the road, this is my pipe dream, I like for all of this to come together into some sort of system that looks a little bit like relegation, which is really like, that is the, that is the, now we're on something, right? The closest comparison I have, right, is, is the way that soccer works, both in England and other countries where you have 
top tier, mid tier, bottom tier, and teams are promoted and relegated between those tiers. Oh, Spencer. Spencer, I love that. I want to put a pin in that actually for a second, a pin in relegation, because I want to come back to it. And I also want to return to the question of what exactly is happening to the concept of tradition in college football right after this quick break. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Spencer, now that you were always rooting for giant institutions to fail, basically, now that you're essentially a rebel snowspeeder flying through Hoth, hoping the ATAT walkers just collapse and trip over themselves, it does raise a follow-up question for me here, because when you look at everything that's happening in college football right now, I- I'm curious what makes you just, like, belly laugh. I love the idea of... of- Yes, USC playing in Ann Arbor in November. I love that struggle. I want to see it. I want to see Lincoln Riley try to throw the ball 55 times when it's 25 degrees and blowing sideways. That that fills me with joy. I love the idea. You love the idea of Lincoln Riley opening up a tauntaun and climbing inside to survive halftime. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's that's pretty much what he's going to have to do. I love the idea of all of those modern day kids, all of these like Southern Uh, California football players going to like, yes, West Lafayette or going to Madison in a driving snowstorm uh, and and just really wondering what mistakes they've made in their life that got them to this point. I love the idea of Texas, which is the most moneyed program in college football in terms of just cash, sheer cash, not performance, obviously, but cash. I love the idea that they're going to go into the SEC and they are going to struggle. They're going to struggle mightily. That's one thing that Texas is really going to discover is hard about playing in a conference where they are not the big fish with a little carefully manicured pond constructed around them. I think they know that. I think they know it's going to be hard. There's going to be an adjustment period. But knowing and experiencing are two entirely different things. But it sounds like, Spencer, more than anything, you want the culture shock. You like kind of the idea that the multiverse of college football is ripping apart and we're going to find out what it's like when people just show up places that they were never intended to be. We get complaints for the better part of 20 years about weakening schedules and about people no longer playing intersectional games where a team from the West Coast plays a team from the East Coast where you don't have substantial out-of-conference games. 
Congratulations. We just brought the conference into the conference. Now you get a lot of that. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is not just pimp my ride, but for conferences. We heard you like conferences, so we put a conference inside of your conference. That's correct. That's correct. We put a UCLA on the dash of your Big Ten. Enjoy. <laughs> if you don't like it, too bad. That's that's what you get now. Also, we got complaints about, well, you know, if we have divisions, you don't get people playing across. Well, that's eliminated now. That's fine. You can see some real anarchy in scheduling. And you can see one of my favorite things in college football in a sport where styles make fights a lot and the timing matters in terms of yeah. who meets who when and who's healthy. Yep. You can get my favorite thing, which are more instances of Purdue, Ohio State. If you don't know, every now and then Ohio State will just show up for the Purdue game and get waxed, just get <laughs> annihilated, right? Every now and then, uh, uh, you know, a jobber faces a champ at the exact wrong time for the champ. Maybe he had food poison. Maybe the jobber's just feeling good that day and lands a lucky punch. And sometimes a beatdown ensues. And those are my favorite things because those teams don't play a lot, so they don't exactly have the book on each other. Alabama and Auburn have the book on each other. They know what they're going to see year to year. Oklahoma playing, uh, let's see, Kentucky, right? Kentucky, to me, we do thinking out loud <laughs> on the SEC Network. And the most fun we've had is watching Kentucky week in and week out just beat people up. They might lose. That happens. But Kentucky, Mark Stoops has built what is to be pound for pound the meanest program in terms of what you're going to face every week, even if they got nothing. But hold on, because you, you said you're a sadist, which is true. You also clearly are an anarchist in some fashion, which I respect. But I also feel like fans of college football as I understand them, like they also have been feeling somewhat kidney punched by all of these changes. And I want to sort of nod to what is being sort of not laughed at, but mourned here, Spencer. Mm -hmm. What are we losing as all of this is happening? And what do you have nostalgia for in terms of what has been lost? I think Big Ten fans are probably mourning the intense regionality of the sport. Gary Moeller passed away this week, former Michigan coach, and I was watching an old video of him on the post-game show trying to sell one of the ugliest games in Michigan history, Illinois, that, that got them to a Rose Bowl as a great struggle, which he did. Like, good on you, Gary Moeller. You really sold it as like, yeah, we fought hard against the Illini terrible game don't ever watch it anyway he said you know the goal of this program every year is to get to the rose bowl what like what <laughs> like, that, I, I think big 10 fans might be mourning that kind of simplicity uh, because it was a very well-defined kind of little world that they had um i think sec fans to a somewhat lesser extent may be mourning the kind of easy set scripted rivalries that you get every single year, you know, because throwing Oklahoma and Texas in the mix really does, I don't want to say dilute your schedule, it varies it. So you don't necessarily know exactly what to expect as you did every single year. But I'm not entirely sympathetic to that. Like, I feel a little bit of that too. There are teams that I really wish that as a Florida fan, we play more often. You know, I would love to play Auburn more often because I would like to beat them 10 times in a row. That would make me feel better about my life and myself. That's very sad. But I would like to see it. It seems, Spencer, that you're, I mean, you're kind of remarkably unsentimental about the tradition that is so often conveyed to me as the thing that differentiates college football from pretty much anything else in American sports. 
I would have to be unsentimental about conferences, which is really what this is mostly about. I will remain sentimental about teams and players. And that includes teams that are not my own. There are things that other teams do that I find profoundly moving every single time I see it. And those don't change. Those won't change. Those are the things that I think give the sport a value that is different than almost any other sort of commodified sporting experience at this point. You won't change We Are the Boys between the third and fourth quarter at Florida. Like, that's still going to happen. You know, you won't change um, the pregame role at Michigan, which, by the way, if you've never been in Ann Arbor and seen I haven't. The, the Michigan pre-roll, it's narrated by James Earl Jones, and it intones, among other things, our Midwestern values. It's incredible. This is the University of Michigan. Standing for Midwestern values, hard work, determination, and an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. <laughs> so actually, in this case, it's literal, literally Darth Vader's voice imploring people to, yes, be, be uh, excellent stormtroopers for this empire. You're not going to do away with that. You're not going to do away with Mike the Tiger. Like only at LSU will you walk out of the stadium and directly into the line of sight of an actual tiger that lives outside the stadium. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So you cannot realign the tiger. You cannot realign all of these traditions, the pre-roll videos, the jumping around the, I don't know, the setting on fire of various couches throughout West Virginia. You're not worried about any of that being jeopardized by the money rejiggering the bureaucracy of the game. No, I'm not worried about that, especially because I do think that there is kind of a misbegotten loyalty to conference that some fans have, particularly in the SEC. I think it's less prevalent in the Big Ten uh, and certainly non-existent when you talk about the Pac-12 or like the Big 12. They don't care. I certainly enjoy the environs of the SEC. I think a lot of those rivalries are what fuel people in terms of keeping their enthusiasm, keeping the fires lit down there. But at the same time, you know, I'm about my team. If it meant that everyone else fell into an open sewer and died and my team thrived, I'd be fine with that. So inside of that sewer, Spencer, the sewer of college football right now, who is most furious about their station in life now? I think that it's probably very difficult right now for teams of ambition in the ACC to not Mm. sort of wonder what they've done. They are locked into their current deal. We had an alliance. We had Uh an alliance, they yell, from beneath the manhole. We had had an alliance that no one took seriously from the jump (laughs) ever. No, so the alliance, I mean, just to refresh people's memories here, Spencer, the alliance was a a, a presumed, like, geopolitical bond formed between the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in response to the SEC gobbling up Texas and Oklahoma, except, obviously, since that alliance was formed, um, whatever treaties they had built clearly have been very enthusiastically shattered by the Big Ten. The Hanseatic League had a longer lifespan than the alliance, all right, (laughs) and was far more effective. You know, this is... The alliance was a bunch of commissioners saying, we got to keep our phony baloney jobs. Uh, That went out the window fast. I think everyone in the ACC, their current deal that locks them in at a rate that is going to pay out significantly less than the Big Ten and the SEC, that's extended through through 2036. 
as we again as we stare into the camera breaking the fourth wall here because yes ESPN and the ACC are in a business partnership correct. but 2036 I, I part of me thinks we're just gonna be on Mars by then man like I can't even think that far ahead right it, it, there's a balance there that the ACC has to strike in all of their deals that I think booked them into something like this where like these smaller schools that aren't quite as football focused said what 2036 that's guaranteed that's great money right they kind of there's a little bit of scotty pippening going on here when you talk about i'm gonna lock in a long-term deal because i feel insecure and this isn't really my priority yes insecurity as a motive for risk aversion i mean i relate to that to be honest like a contract through 2036 anywhere who doesn't you mentioned the academics aspect of this, Spencer. And where does now, beyond the ACC, just big picture, where do the academics factor in to college football as you understand it now? Um, no. <laughs> like, no, we're moving, we're moving closer I keep on hearing, and closer. I, Spencer, I hear about research institutions. The Big Ten is full of our great research universities, as if that's part of the story here. And I want to figure out if it's actually part of the story here. It's a marginal part of the story in terms of like pooled research funds. Like that's something that you can get when you talk about about conferences. But on the whole, it's about keeping athletes eligible so that these checks keep clearing. It's not like football gives a whole lot back to the university in terms of funds. You know, ultimately, I think what you'll see are these programs being spun off the same way that, you know, some English soccer leagues were spun off of their original, you know, like, hey, this is the mill team. Okay, well, the mill team is eventually going to become its own business separate of this, right? It's going to work out a lot like the old NYU case where NYU was gifted a spaghetti factory, like a literal spaghetti factory, Wait, like a I did, factory. I did not. As someone who has lived in NYU's neighborhood in his life, was born at NYU Hospital, I didn't know a spaghetti factory was part of this grand tradition. Yeah, this was actually a noodle factory. It became a serious uh, court case, actually, because uh, they were gifted, uh, I believe it was the Muller Pasta Company was gifted uh, or gifted this factory to NYU and NYU tried to operate it. And if you'll notice, universities are tax exempt. So the IRS eventually had an issue with NYU running a tax-exempt business that was very profitable making noodles. And this became integral to any consideration of academics, athletics, and schools because if you have a for-profit business and you're running it under the tax-exempt university ages umbrella, what are you going to do, right? Like at one point you have to fish or cut bait because the government comes and says, you know, you're making a lot of money off this and we should get a cut in the form of taxes. No, what is college football, if not, in the end, tax-free carbo-loading? That's, <laughs> listen, a bunch of football nutritionists I know just flinch listening to you say that because we work so hard on getting protein into these boys. You know how hard <laughs> it is to get to be enough protein. But like a lot, of pro- a lot of programs already run as this sort of separate nonprofit, this separate corporation like UAA at Florida, which is the University Athletic Association. That's, they're separate. They have a relationship with the university, but it's very carefully delineated so that they don't trip these wires that say, hey, you're in trouble because you need to pay taxes on this for-profit enterprise under our nonprofit umbrella. But Spencer, the actual students... The student athletes, the pre-professional people who play football and do have to go to class still. 
what what changes for them and their lives in all of this? Well, what's already changed for them is that they can go ahead and try to sell uh, every local Jim Bob a truck and then get money off of selling Jim Bob said truck. And, you know, like <laughs> and you love Dylan this, Gabriel, by the way, you love you love the idea it. of monetizing whatever the hell you have in front of you. Absolutely adore it. I think anybody who isn't a fan of local commercials has no soul. And there is no more local commercial than the quarterback for the South Carolina Gamecocks trying to sell someone a chicken finger. That is, <laughs> that's perfect. That's all I want in life. Um, but it does actually empower them economically, as does a larger conference alignment, because suddenly that increased value in terms of a conference means that the revenue is harder to hide than ever and is a matter of public record. That to me says that though I am not optimistic about an immediate appearance of a union, um, which I think would really be an asset for college athletes, I am somewhat optimistic about an eventual push towards, okay, there has to be something beyond NIL. These players have to be compensated. We will work out some way uh, that is Title IX compatible of compensating athletes for their labor because more than ever, it's apparent that this is a product with value and an asset that is bankable beyond the school and tickets into contracts and all sorts of other uh, you know, secondary value based on what they do. Well, what you're saying, Spencer, is that at some point, if you stuff enough money into a pillowcase, there will be just dollars flying out of there. And that is sort mm -hmm. of where we are now. There's just so much money that some of it has to actually accrue to the people who it's, who it's being hidden from. Listen, I used to play Red Dead Online, Red oh, Dead yeah. Redemption Online, and Love there was that a game. game called. There was a game where you had to seize as much gold as you could, and sometimes gold was just falling out of the bag, and you'd go back to get it, and somebody else would steal it. That's pretty much what programs are dealing with, and that goes by the way in terms of talent management because. Right now, roster management is becoming its own art, not quite on the scale of what you would see in the NFL or anything, but differently skilled because you have the transfer portal. And if you have the transfer portal, now we've created this. Okay, I don't really like the deal I have here at Georgia or Alabama, someplace that has recruited so many people that my five-star self can only get second string status. I can go over to the Big Ten. I can go over and get a great deal in the Big Ten. What are y'all gonna do to equal that? So. Even when you don't look at it collectively, individually, there's more leverage now for players to negotiate back and forth. Um, and that's before we even consider important local chicken tender contracts. No, I'm now thinking of arbitrage, but it's actually just Arby's trash, yeah. <laughs> where you can actually go and make the most money in a different state selling uh, burgers. I think that's an SEC to Big Ten move when we're talking about arbitrage. I think the... I think the Big Ten to SEC move is a literal chicken tender. <laughs> After the break, Spencer Hall cooks up a grand plan for Notre Dame. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. 
every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I understand that the consequence of this system now is that there is basically this duopoly where the Big Ten and the SEC are at the very top, and then underneath are the sewer people, uh, the uh, Morlocks fighting for the table scraps, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and those, <laughs> those Morlocks... Um, I feel like Notre Dame doesn't want to be with them. No. They don't want to be uh, traversing the uh, the tunnels late at night. So how would you, honestly, the person I know who hates Notre Dame the most, True. how would you rationally here advise the University of Notre Dame as to what to do as they are clearly like the dance partner that everybody across the board wants to hang out with? Man, wait. Wait. Like, that's the thing. Wait. I'm starting this from like blank slate. Like if I if I if I were just to operate Notre Dame and say how would I look at the layout? If you want to go, you don't want to be you don't want to go from your status as Bell of the Ball, big fish looking for my carefully cultivated pond, right? Um, you want to look for the weakest possible high value conference to enter. To me, if you were able to in some way wedge yourself into the ACC, negotiate a new deal, get favorable terms, and make sure that you got a disproportionate share of that, right? Like as an interested agent for Notre Dame, that's what I would do. I would inflict unfair terms on everyone around me because I'm worth more to you than you are to me. Oh, oh, oh I see. Wait, you, you're asking for you're you're preying upon the weakness of these of these sewer people to get carve outs that are explicitly privileged and unequal. Notre Dame has always enjoyed their position as lords of the fiefdom, and I don't see any reason why they would change their behavior because it's worked very well for them. So that's what I would do. I would make sure I would get my army of Morlocks, as you say, and I would make sure to tell them, listen, if you're associated with me, I'm going to improve your sewer. We're going to make a really banging sewer out of this, okay? It's going to be super nice. Yes. Um, and I'm going to live up here. And you get to play me. And even if you beat me, it doesn't matter. I can have a down year and I still get a disproportionate share of conference income. Long term, they will have to join a conference. They will have to create some sort of arrangement that works for them in, in terms of consistent revenue put through a group that can attract that kind of income because as an independent they will fall behind 
Brian. It, it just, I don't see them sort of commanding the kind of weight and collective bargaining that you can get out of the SEC or the Big Ten negotiating with these networks or increasingly trying to get more of a share of their own networks, right? The Big Ten has partners, but they also have their own network, right? The SEC network, it's a little bit different. It's, you know, pretty much run and managed by ESPN. It's not quite like what the Big Ten has. Everybody's going to be looking for what's next to ensure that the pipeline keeps coming in. Notre Dame will have to do that eventually. To me, there's no reason why they need to be fair about it at all because they hold all of the weight right now. So I'm curious because, you know, the Big Ten seems logical for Notre Dame. Yeah. um, But you like selling like the refracted light of the Golden Dome onto the uh, poisonous, toxic runoff waste uh, as opposed to going and joining the people who live upstairs in this very mixed metaphor now. I mean, I think that's one, you know, to me, theoretically viable solution that gives them the most pull. If they enter the Big Ten, it's interesting because they do get to keep some historical rivalries that they enjoy. You know, they keep USC, they can keep Michigan, who they play all the time. But at the same time, I don't know if they're going to have quite the same stature because of some real cultural and economic heavyweights in the sport like Ohio State sitting right there. Like that, that to me, that's not a great situation for them in terms of the things that they enjoy. Notre Dame has enjoyed more than anything else control. Their incentives as an institution are to remain as independent as possible. Like I'm only judging them based on their past behavior. They were the ones who signed a single team deal. They're the ones who like lining up their weird little schedule where they get, you know, yes, some historical rivals who really matter in the sport. And then they get guys who matter historically, but who really aren't performers like the service academy. Mm-hmm. You know, they keep those on there in the name of tradition, but most years they're going to beat them. And that to me, that model can't hold. And in the big 10, they're not going to have quite the same sway. So if I'm just looking forward, right? Like if I put on my, my like international affairs hat, and I go, what are your incentives? What are your behaviors? Where do I think you're going? I think you're going someplace where you can continue to have a foot on the scale, right? Like a toe on the, more than a toe, a foot on the scale in terms of how much weight you pull in a conference. But now, Spencer, you do realize to bring this full circle to what you had promised earlier, you have inadvertently now enabled Notre Dame to be some sort of judge slash jury slash executioner mm-hmm. in this new contract for who gets relegated. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that's, and that's one thing that, you know, if you embrace anarchy, as I have in college football, sometimes you have to accept the consequences. That's one thing I absolutely have to live with that Notre Dame (laughs) might have that kind of pull in terms of relegation. However, I've also created a universe where Notre Dame could get relegated. Mm, And for the listener, uh, Spencer is just grinning like a Cheshire cat at this point. Listen, the day that happens, if it happens somewhere down the road, my 70 or 80 year old ass will leap from my chair singing as if I were 30 or 40 years younger. Spencer Hall, I look forward to encountering you again on this podcast when you are 70 years old and grinning with all of the hate just blooming inside of your heart. Watching the Irish get relegated will be worth all of the aches and pains of old age. So we'll both be there, baby. I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>